Welcome to CII Radio. My name is Bobby Stills and I'm Communications Executive at the CII. In this episode, I'll be talking to Damien Green MP and Sophia Cleanthus. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about starting conversations about care and how people can build and maintain financial resilience for later life. We are joined by Damien Green, Conservative MP for Ashford, and Sophia Cleanthus, Campaigns Advisor at the Chartered Insurance Institute. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here is our conversation with Damien and Sophia. Hello, Damien and Sophia. Thank you for joining us on CII Radio today. Hello. Hi. Very pleased to have you both here. Thank you for having us. So, Sophia, if we begin with you, why is it important for people to start having conversations about care? So, we're facing a significant care crisis, both a funding crisis in care, but also as a society for lack of understanding around care and care provision. Currently, we're living in an increasing ageing society, which means that more people are living longer. And that means that more people will need care as a result. And so resources and support for care are being stretched to their limits. So talking about care is a really difficult subject to bring up with family members and loved ones. But if we have these conversations now, they could massively support the care sector. And currently, most care conversations and planning are happening reactively in a result of a sudden change in an individual's health such as a stroke or a reduction in cognitive abilities or like something like Alzheimer's disease. When this happens, family members often have to take on unpaid caring responsibilities and negotiate the confusing world of care provision, assess their assets and react quickly to reduce further damage to their financial or financial difficulties. But by having care conversations earlier, we've got family members and individuals creating a plan for their own potential care needs and later life resilience so that if something does change, they're able to adapt quickly and reduce the financial impact. And by preparing earlier, individuals sort of could also reduce the change. So, for example, if you learn and understand that you can adapt your home earlier, so as your mobility needs change, you can prevent yourself from having to go into residential care at a later stage and actually not only save money, but also support yourself. By having conversations um, and early interventions, such as planning for later life and being aware of how our own assets can support our own potential care provision and talking about our own potential care needs with family members and those who influence our decision making at an earlier stage, we can have a public education and understanding on care, which which will also increase. But we do need government support to push for this behavioural change. Okay, then that's great. And Sophia, can you tell our listeners a bit about how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted care provision? Yeah, so COVID-19 highlighted the current care provision crisis that we are facing. And in many ways, COVID-19 has put a spotlight on the care provision crisis and the funding that we're currently facing. Before the crisis, the head of the NHS actually said, we do not have a fair and properly resourced adult social care system with a proper set of workforce supports. So even before the COVID pandemic, we were facing a large crisis. Um, The high death rates that took place in care homes across the UK showed the impact of the virus on those working in social care and residents of care homes. Care homes also struggled with an increase in patients being triaged to homes and did not receive the correct PPE equipment, which made it unsafe for them to work for both residents and workers in the care homes themselves. 
Before the pandemic, both the care sector and the NHS were also suffering with significant staffing issues. And so this crisis has really put a spotlight on those workforce issues as well. One of the biggest changes is probably the changes within the Care Act. The Care Act 2014 is a law that was set out for adult social care in England um, around provision of care. And it requires local authorities to make sure that people who live in areas in their areas are receiving services that support their care needs, receive info and advice. They need to make good decisions about care and a range of high quality services to choose from and what control they have over their care and support. However, one of the largest changes was the creation of the Coronavirus Act 2020, which suspended parts of this act. And this allowed authorities to temporarily suspend parts of the Care Act 2014. This meant that local authorities were no longer having to carry out detailed assessments of people's care and support needs. And so it meant that they also maybe didn't need to carry out financial assessments, which also meant they didn't have to prepare a review and care and support plans. And this meant that people weren't getting the same kind of specialised and proper care that they should be getting and were being triaged too quickly. So the care support, the level of care was, you know, significantly reduced. This has now changed because the government received a lot of feedback and NGOs sort of wrote consultations around it saying sort of this wasn't something that was useful. So this has now been um, ended and the Care Act is kind of in full use now. So that's kind of some of the key changes. Within carers themselves, there have been changes within caring, care allowance. So since Monday the 30th of March, and a result of COVID-19, eligibility criteria changed, which allowed unpaid carers in England and Wales to continue to claim carers allowance if they had a temporary break in care because the person they care for gets coronavirus or if they're isolated because of it. Um, so this was a big change for carers to make sure that they were actually be able to support someone who had these changing needs. And Damien, Sophia highlighted the importance of government action just there. What government action has been taken to date around social care provision? Well, around provision, I mean, literally for the past few years, uh, the government has been putting financial sticking plasters uh, on it. And every year there is a shortfall uh, and every year the government stumps up one, two billion pounds, uh, which keeps local authorities afloat to continue to uh, provide the provision for another year or so. But this is clearly unsatisfactory in the long term. Uh, we've known for a long time that we need a, a, a different type of funding. Uh, and and, and Sophia has already rightly referred to the, the 2014 Act. Um, that was supposed to bring in a new way of people effectively being able to insure themselves up to a certain level uh, of payments. And that was never reduced because on top of the, the private insurance that people have to take out, there would have to be an increase in public spending as well. Uh, and at the time uh, the government thought they could afford that. So uh, we've been in limbo since then. Uh, and the, this government has said it's determined to uh, resolve this, this long running crisis and, and produce a new funding system. And I, I hope expect them to do so, not least because every year that passes, it gets worse. The, the, the number of people over 65 who needed help uh, with care in 2015 was three and a half million. Uh, we know that by 2040, it will be 
much closer to 6 million. Uh, so the longer we put off a decision on, on how we're going to fund it on a stable way, uh, the more misery is being caused. And you know, I, I suggested a paper I wrote last year called Fixing the Care Crisis, a sort of vision-style solution where um, we, you know, we, we spend more public money on it, indeed, as it were, the equivalent of the state pension, but that on top of that, uh, people should be encouraged to take out uh, personal insurance policies that would, would guarantee them extra choice uh, in the care vision they have in old age um, so they could have complete peace of mind. And now how you fund that is a whole interesting sub-discussion. Um, some of it, you know, most most people's wealth, uh, those who have it, is is tied up in their house. So you could have a, a small sliver of the, the wealth that uh, older people have in their houses uh, would pay for that care provision. Uh, people who are still of working age could pay through their, their working lives, either through national insurance or through to, to sort of private insurance as well. There, there are various ways that you can cut the cake of, of how you raise the money, but it's to me inevitable that we'll need both to spend more public money and that those who can afford it should be encouraged to spend their own money on insurance policies as well to guarantee complete peace of mind in old age. Okay, thanks, Damien. So obviously, you know, there are still questions about funding and who will pay for the cost of care. How has the pandemic impacted the cost of care? Uh, well, it's it's made it more expensive to provide, clearly, because the just the, the sheer amount of PPE that's needed in care homes, you know, that's that's very expensive to fund, and sadly, it's as though you know we are going to have to be doing that for as far ahead as we can see, and and you know this is not just a one-off change, and obviously. A lot of this, you know, the masks, the risers, the gowns have to be used uh, used and then discarded. So this will be uh, a continuing expense. And, and that's particularly difficult because already a lot of providers of care are on the edge financially. You know, 80% of, of care homes are private rather than direct local authority provision. The, the amount of money uh, that local authorities pay to cams for for patients often doesn't cover the costs so a lot of them are on the edge financially already and so the 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 extra practical expense of providing safe care during covid uh is is a, a further quite quite dangerous burden on them financially so sophia how can the insurance profession help people to be better prepared to fund care in later life so insurers can build products, but a large problem with this is the cost of care is so volatile. And so it is difficult to create products based on this. By the time a customer is paying out their insurance products, for example, a later life annuity, the cost of care may have changed. So this will significantly impact on the consumer's insurance package and what they're actually getting out of it. The main challenge isn't building products, but getting families to think about care and think about it as relevant to them and analysing the insurance or financial advice need by looking at the total family wealth rather than on an individual basis, which is something we're trying to change at the moment within the insurance sector. And insurance professionals also need to be aware that a family taking on care mainly view it as both a physical and a monetary issue. So, for example, they look at the cost of care and the physical changes, like moving into a residential care home. And so they should be aware of like how they can manage and work out their advice based on these kind of key areas. 
The insurance sector, however, will not be able to support consumers in this until we increase general trust in insurance and insurers. Without this, consumers will not proactively engage with the sector, which has been seen by a lot of different research and uh, reports recently. For example, if, an ins if insurance and insurers engage in hiking up dual pricing, consumers will simply lose trust and they won't want to engage or use the, the insurance sector to help pay for their care at some point in the future. So this really does require a sector-wide change in improving trust around and really improving around um, policy practice and the way that insurance companies are run. But large social change like this cannot be achieved through insurance alone. So we definitely do need significant government intervention, action and policy change as well. Okay, great. And Sophia, you spoke about the importance of trust there. And the last year, the CII Insuring Women's Futures Initiative was a great instrument in starting crucial conversations um, and also raising this trust that you speak about. Can you tell our listeners about the plans of the CII's Insuring Futures Initiative? So the next stage in helping people to build financial resilience and independence for later life. Yeah. So what we found is um, from doing the insuring, insuring Women's Futures work, what was really clear is that one of the things that was really beneficial official through that was the life stages work that we did. So looking at what you can do in each life stage as a woman and um, supporting your own um, financial resilience. So what we've now looked at is the later life resilience and independence and how you can achieve this at an earlier stage. So we're focusing on the intergenerational approach again and asking people of all ages to think and begin planning for their later life and potential social care needs. So what we've adopted and approached this way, it, this topic is in a very um, holistic way. So providing advice on the effects of an individual's mental health, general health and social life. Um, the campaign will look at creating guidance for insurers as well and how our members can work with older consumers, including the importance of language. So a lot of um, older consumers don't really relate to terms like planning and having a nest egg and things. So there's there's certain things that we can kind of change and in, inform, our, inform our members. And we also want to look at them having a more sophisticated approach to advice by working with families rather than individuals, because then you get a really good sense of an individual's way of decision making but also a family's kind of approach to both later life and social care needs. One of our key policy goals is to ask the government to create a public education campaign on social care, but kind of in the more kind of membership-based work that we're doing, it will be about trying to get members themselves to think about their own later life resilience and we'll be working with them on um, a social care a social media campaign uh, which will start with members where we'll be asking them to speak to their families and have that initial conversation on care. And then we'll be asking, um, using that research and asking members of the public to do the same. So it's really about trying to understand how people plan for later life resilience, who does it and who doesn't, and how we can get younger generations to think about this at an earlier stage so that they avoid things like care crisis um, situations. Um, so they're aware of what's going on and how care provision is really created. Sounds like we've got lots of really good plans in place with that. So Sophia, just finally, where can our listeners go for more information on how care has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Yep. So you can go on um, an article that we wrote about care and coronavirus um, and the external resources, which um, we'll publish with this, with this podcast. 
the one thing we can, the one thing we really looked at was care during lockdown and the, how it kind of impacted advisors' um, decisions and how they can kind of support carers and um, their clients. So that's kind of one of the useful resources. And we also have links to other useful resources from organisations like Care England, Age UK, um, and other places that can really give you a good understanding of how care changed during coronavirus and what um, advisors can do to support their clients. We'll also be adding uh, the website, inform- the information about the campaign on the website soon. So that will be in the About Us part of the page. Thank you, Damien and Sophia, for speaking with me today on a topic that I'm sure will be of great interest to our listeners. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio.